0: Yes, hello, I am James Rowlands, and today it's the WNR 301. As one door closes, another one opens. I am James Rowlands, and today it is a very exciting show. I am joined by a very special guest, co host at Graps of Rass. How you doing, mate? You alright? Hi, I'm alright.
1: Thanks, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, it is nice to be a part of the show.
0: Yeah, well, it's great to have you on here, and like we said, um, <laughs> technical issues subsiding i mean it's been great uh why don't you tell me a bit about yourself
1: there's not really much to say really i'm just a 19 year old dad that follows wrestling and decided one day to create a twitter account and see what people talk about twitter community probably a, a better place to be because i feel like um the wrestling community as a whole is probably the most toxic yeah. you know wrestling fans and wrestling for themselves and I don't know, I'm quite a positive person and whenever, you know, something happens, I like to try and look at the bright side of things and see where you can go with it and try and change people's opinions, look at things in a better way and, you know, just try and make this community a better place.
0: Well, I think that's, you know, what's what the WNR have tried to do this past five years as well because there's a lot of people knocking each other down and there's not a lot of kind of building up, is there, you know?
1: Oh, definitely not. Like, uh... <laughs> You look through, you know, like you look through the uh, through the feed, and it's just all negative. Something will happen that's really good, for example, and everyone will be like, "No, that's shit." For example, the uh, the raw underground thing that's happened recently, I saw a lot of people hate on that, and I'm just thinking to myself, "Well, what is there to hate on it? It's something new. You've been asking for something new, um, you know, just trying to make things a better place."
0: Yeah, I think I think without a doubt, you know, and I, th- I think that's what we're seeing that, you know, especially with my point, is that. Even with if it's Raw, SmackDown, AEW, Impact, a lot of people, you know, have a go at the others for what they watch. But it is professional wrestling.
1: Of course it is. Of course it is. And you know that's the whole point of Graps of Wrath. You know, we have three members. We have myself, and then I like Beacon, who likes to import quite. Um, you know, he, he likes to input his opinion. You know, he's me and him. We kind we kind of differ. I'm more of like a um, you know, your old school kind of guy and he's more of like an independent kind of guy. So he's got that modern mindset, whereas me, I, I like to think I have quite a, an old head when it comes to wrestling. Um, and then, obviously, your third, your third member, we've got Callie. He's very similar to me. Me and him have a lot of similar thoughts. Um, when it comes to everything altogether, like, for example, I think modern NWA power it is fantastic. I think it's one of the best things around when it's obviously being filmed, uh, when it's actually on um
0: that's one of my favorite promotions yeah but I, well, I, I think this is the thing because when we started when we started it was a case of kind of um having someone that didn't know anything about wrestling and someone kind of knew a little bit and then kind of me who kind of was just following it as much as they possibly could and i yeah. think through the, like i said 300 episodes i've realized now that there's you know with dan and in the scheduling there's not a lot else I can teach him or you know what I mean or or what we've seen and what we've shown and and it's to try and the next few you know especially the next maybe 100 episodes so it's to give other people a chance who you know have got different ideas as well you know and I think that's what the exciting thing is is uh, to be able to sit with someone and speak to them and maybe it's outside your bubble a little bit and you might get a little bit uncomfortable but I think that's exciting you know.
1: I think, I will always say this, I always have and I always will do, I think the best thing about wrestling is the debate that comes along with it, because nobody will ever, ever have the same opinion on the same stuff. One of the I best things that. to do when it comes, one of the best things to happen with wrestling is the debate that comes along with it, you know, everyone's going to have a different opinion, everyone's going to think different things. Um, like I said before, with the Raw Underground, everybody has an opinion on that. There's not one person on this planet that watches wrestling that will have nothing to say about it. Everybody will have an opinion on it. And I think one of the special things about this culture is the fact that you can talk about that. It brings up, it's a new topic to talk about. and There's a new topic every single week on every single show and it's fresh. It's always fresh.
0: I think what we're going to try and, you know, what we're going to try and do as well is the fact is that you can have difference of opinions when it comes to wrestling, but you don't have to be. That harsh you know you can say right you've got yeah. different than i but i accept that as opposed to going you're wrong you don't know how fucking wrong you are you know that kind of thing
1: oh absolutely for example um again going back to this wrong underground the dancers the strippers what's your take on the dancers and strippers
0: i i think for me uh this day and age i don't mind it if you've got the male equivalent like i say if you've got if you, get, if you treat everybody the kind of same in that way and you, when, the, the, when the women are wrestling or whatever it is and you have the men strippers that's fine if you don't then that's where there's a problem with it
1: I, I agree with that I agree with that um, the way I look at it is you know people want the Attitude of back and I feel like this Raw Underground is very similar to what you'd get back then um, I love it mate I think the strippers being there adds so much to the atmosphere it adds so much to the culture of Raw Underground you know it to be this grungy underground fight club so why not have strippers? Why not have dancers up on the bar? If you want to have male ones there to so, very politely, that's perfectly fine. But a lot of people were complaining about you know how far the women's evolution's come yeah. and you know this revolution of um, promoting women's wrestling rather than you know your bra and panties matches rather than you know your you strip teasers and your bikini contests. But at the same time, these are dancers. Dancing is a profession. I don't look at that more than someone would look at a wrestler
0: but i think they've done it for a reason i think if you look back at tna when they had the uh the women dancers in the cage as they were making their entrance of course it was being tna they were trying to you know push the boundaries there and i think it's kind of the same thing now it's it's like it's that will get people talking if, if they agree with it or not and i think that's a clever thing with what they've done but like i said we're going to get onto that in a second so we'll start the show now and it's going to be the state of pro wrestling and we're going to be looking at WWE, AEW, NJPW, Impact and more. and more. And today with a new co-host comes a new game and it is Hit or Miss. Now much like Masturbate, we'll decide if it's a hit or miss and we'll also grade each show. And the shows are Raw, Smackdown, Impact, AEW and NXT. And let's get started And Monday Night Raw. And you were talking about Raw Underground. So what, what is it about Raw Underground you love so much? It becomes different.
1: Raw is a three-hour show, and someone, a, a lot of people have a complaints about Raw being a three-hour show for so long. Um, people saying, oh, let's think back to the two hours. Well, with Raw Underground there, it kind of adds that different variety to the show, and it makes casual Raw an hour less longer. Uh, an hour less. Um, it, it becomes a shorter show. It becomes more in the casual Raw. You know, you've got your wrestling on the casual Raw, and then if Raw Underground becomes this, it, you know, it's an underground fight club. It, it becomes grungy. It becomes dirty. You know, I wanna see more about it. I wanna see that really push, I wanna see it as like a, an underground proving ground. Um I think it adds so much like for example, Baba Sunday or Gabba Kato, um what is going by now. Um, he's become a star in the last two or three weeks just purely because of this. People will look at him now and think, you know what well, he he could kill someone, he could take someone's head off. And I feel like that becomes fresh now, you know, it's a new face, you know. Arthur or showed up, I wanna see him now with nunchucks. You know, it adds so many different it adds a variety to the show that you would have seen so many years ago and something that we haven't seen for so long and different always, difference always good even if it is re refresh, like a refreshment of an older an older factor of a show for example yep. like um I, I just really like it like it's, it's different basically.
0: Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting is that uh, apparently it's been Shane McMahon who's come up with the ideas. And That's at the moment, fun. yeah, WWE pretty high on what he's uh, been talking about. And of course, he's always had the kind of affiliation for either USC or you know, even ECW back in the day. So it's interesting to think that, you know, and like I said, it is, it is something different. Is there a problem, though, like we talk about as well, the three hours of Raw? Is it just kind of going the way of... Nitro did back in the day with just it's just too long for anybody to really sit down and enjoy
1: I don't think so I think people don't like it because they don't like sitting through a three hour show anymore and I think in my opinion when I sit down and watch a three hour show the thing that does like it does mean the thing that makes it boring for me is you know the ad breaks that's the only thing that does it for me but when you've got a different variety there you know it kind of you kind of forget about like the ad break becomes a break it's like oh what's going to happen next you know it's not like oh you know, here we go, another round break. Um, For example, you think about Smackdown from, you know, your 2004, 2005, you know, you've got your Smackdown Smackdown 6. You've got your Cruiserweight division, you know, it's something fresh, it's something different. You watch Smackdown at that point because you see something different, you see something new. You know, you're, you're watching that because it's different to what Raw is, and I feel like right now that's what Raw is. It's different to Smackdown. It's got its own standpoint, it's got its own, you know, you look at Raw now and you think, I'm going to see something new that I'm not going to see on SmackDown. I feel like, despite a third hour, that doesn't matter anymore because you've got something fresh, you've got something new. You know, you, you know that you're going to be watching something that you're not going to see on a on a Friday.
0: Yeah, but I, I think for me, my my problem is is maybe not the three hours or the adverts. It's the the constant repeating of what they do on their programs, and, and they. Yeah. they oh. I just I can't sit there and see that three or four times in the same, either the same hour or an hour later. It's like, we're we're watching it. I know we are. So we don't really need to be completely told again and again. And I just feel that's filling time for them. that, you know, it's going to take up 15 minutes of re-showing what has already happened on the show.
1: But then at the same time, what I can argue with there, right, um, again, I'm a 19-year-old lad, so I cannot put myself in the position of someone that lived through the attitude era, because I weren't even born then. But, being someone yeah, thanks that's for passionate that. About wrestling... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go Being on, someone sorry. That's so passionate for the business and someone that enjoys wrestling as a whole. Yeah. Um, I'll take my time to go out and uh you know, I started watching um, Raw from when Brian Pillman died from his from the show where they did, you know, like the memorial for him. I started watching from there again um,
0: yeah.
1: as a hobby, and I watched it from there. And you know, for example. You stone cold Steve Austin storylines like they were brought up maybe every fifteen minutes like what's going to happen with this? Can you remember when this happened? Can you remember when this happened? And it felt like a bigger deal. And I feel like that's how it could be now. People don't tend to like it because the storyline isn't is interesting to them.
0: Well, it's like the poisoning, isn't it? I mean that I was I was watching that bit and you know, three or four times they keep going back to it. Uh, and my problem is, is with uh, the announcers. Well, don't get me wrong. I like Byron Saxton and Tom or Todd Phillips, but it's in it, I think, too serious sometimes. And I think oh, one of yeah. them <laughs> one of them needs to be there to, you know, like a, a Bobby Heenan type or a King type to go, no, oh, hang on a minute, let's not be so serious because the way they're doing that. And unfortunately, um, he's passed out and it, and it doesn't look good because no one is buying that nowadays, are they? You know? <laughs> <laughs> See,
1: that's where I think Byron Saxon fits so well. Um, I don't care what people say about Byron Saxon, he's a saint to this business. And he could be one of the best commentators in the world if you just let him be that goofy guy on commentary that plays kind of a, you know, like he could be a, a heel or a face. He could be a goofy heel that, you know, just tries to throw everything off like, yeah, well, you know, he got poisoned because he's an idiot. You know, maybe he got poisoned because he, he's eating this or he's eating that. You know, just try and make fun of it a little bit.
0: I think without if doubt, like
1: a, if he's a face, you know, you can proper draw shade at you He can be, it can be a special character.
0: So um I, I think this is the thing with Raw. Has has it got enough hours to actually, you know, to fill out the three hours in itself as well? When we talk about. Who's actually on the show and who they use? Has it been a case since the kind of um, the COVID thing to kind of use the same ten to fifteen stars on every show? I mean, that probably make more sense because then you're not kind of sharing it up a little bit more. But is there that name talent that is there? You know,
1: through COVID, yes, because I haven't seen many people talk about this, and I feel like it needs to be stated. Um, When COVID's been around, there's been no fans there, and when there has been fans there, they've been. Actual performance center recruits, so that means then that the crowd isn't as organic, but that also means then that they can put someone like Apollo Cruz on the TV for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And normally where we get quite a silent reaction, you know, they can have that unorga uh, that unorganic crowd like slapping on the uh, on the text of your life, you know, cheering for him, and he gets over just like that. You know, you can like the uh, the Edge and Orton match. I feel like if that match were performed in front of a live crowd at Backlash, it wouldn't have got the same. It wouldn't have got the same, um, what's it called, reaction yeah, way, yeah, it, yeah. on the internet because you're able to promote your own crowd reaction. You're able to push your own crowd reaction and say like, well, you're meant to be cheering for this guy or you're meant to be uh, booing this guy. And I feel like it works, you know, they can create their own stars through their own crowd rather yeah. than the heck was in the front row saying like, oh, you know, you're boring, or, all you do is smile.
0: My problem is, I mean, I'm not going to have a go just at, at the fans, but I will. It's like sometimes with the crowds, <laughs> they're trying to be too smart for their own goods, aren't they? You know, and it's kind oh, of yeah, definitely. you all. take away from the action. And again, I don't want to say just because I'm in a crowd at the O2 or, you know, whatever it is. I find the London crowd and the English fans a little bit more respectful of the action rather than trying to get themselves over and chanting someone else's name during a match. You know what I mean? I think that's what we've seen recently and I guess like if you pay your money you can you can do what you want but I think it's kind of like we've seen it recent times where with John Cena it's cool to boo him the same with Roman Reigns and that's what I think good with McIntyre at the moment that you haven't got a chance for the fans to kind of go oh these guys being you know, shoved down a much like Braun Strowman on Smackdown as well you know
1: I feel like um, Drew McIntyre would still be over in front of a in front of a main crowd I feel like the Royal Rumble were his it, it was his night. Um, I actually said the minute that he came out rather than just eliminating Lesnar from the Rumble, the minute he came out, and said he's, made, he, he's become a star right now. Because yeah. of the crowd reaction, because of the way he just walked down the ring, because of the way that Lesnar put him over. It, Lesnar wouldn't take his eyes off him. And then when McIntyre got into the ring and, you know, eliminated him, you just had this massive roar from the crowd. And then the night after, you got this massive roar from the crowd. He wins the Rumble. You got was massive roar from the crowd. And ever since then, you know, everyone's just really gone for him even when uh, he, he had a little moment like he had a little period between the rumble and mania where he weren't doing too much and people were still really behind him he managed to get the uh, the three two one uh claymore kick over. Um, and i feel like that really helped for him and the promos that he'd be delivering if someone like you know your Rollins or your reigns had cut the exact same promo they'd be booed because they'd be considered cheesy be a bit corny. but McIntyre's delivery is Perfect. I feel like without a doubt, right now he is the face of the entire company. He's your figurehead, and they've been missing something like that now for a good couple of years. Um, he's what they wanted Reigns to be, and obviously, unfortunately, Reigns can't be there at the minute. But I feel like McIntyre really, he's really stepped up. He he is the he, he is the figurehead now. He's he could easily be the next John Cena, the next Stone Cold, the next Rock. He he's got that potential now.
0: The, the thing is about McIntyre. I mean, everybody who listens to 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 the show, will know my love for Drew and getting to. I used to follow, watch him on the Superstars when he was losing uh, there and watching his matches and then getting released and managing to see him on the independent uh, and having a conversation with him and you know and he even at that point in time like he knew he was going to go back and he'd get another chance and I think that's what makes it such a great story. Like even with uh, Eddie Guerrero, kind of like you know when you know he got fired but then he came back and he was just a different level. I think we've seen that with McIntyre, and there's it, so much more he can give as well. Like even in matches with this, the moves he can do, it we, we've not even seen a quarter. I think that's what's really exciting. And like I said, it's a shame with the fans not being there, but the reaction he's going to get, you know, especially I don't want him to lose the title anytime soon, but I think he definitely deserves that kind of. Um, reaction in front of a a proper crowd or winning the championship, and I think that is going to be a moment, like we said, his rumble moment is going to be unbelievable, and he's still young, and he's still going to have so many opportunities, you know, unless they completely drop the ball, which they haven't done to WWE's credit or this year already, you know?
1: In my opinion, and this might... I'm not too sure what you're going to think about this, but in my opinion, this is the best the WWE has beaten in. I think the pandemic era will be considered one of the greatest eras ever because of the way that they managed to, you know, they managed to boost stars, managed to create stars, make things interesting. Mm. Each show right now has different interesting storylines that actually has people interested in, you know, people put on SmackDown and think, you know, you know, I'm looking forward to what's going to happen between Alexa Bliss and Braun because of what happened last week. Yeah. Uh, all the things I'm going to show up, I'm interested in that. Uh, you know, the Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, AJ Styles being the Intercontinental Champion people, wanting to tune into the show or just to watch these little things. And then on Raw you have, you know, the likes of MVP, um, Bobby Lashley and Shelton Benjamin, um, you know, really making a name for himself. In my opinion, MVP is probably the best promo in the world right now. <laughs> then you also have the likes of, you know, and feuding with everybody, uh, going back to that Legend Killer gimmick. Again, he's probably the best heel in the world right now. People are coming into uh, coming to watch these two shows specifically because there's different things going on. It's really interesting right now, and um, probably the best booked the best book shows that they've had for a Roman SmackDown anyway uh, in a long, long time.
0: Well, I think the the problem with the, you know, like I said, we can everybody's got when the best time was, and and I think with the Attitude Era, don't get me wrong, I was watching it during the actual it i i was managing to flick over to see a bit of wcw during that time as well and it was it was incredible but i think from a in-ring standpoint it wasn't on the level that it is kind of nowadays i think obviously nowadays it's a strength of depth but that's WWE's fault and this is something that goes back to 2006 2007 when you look at people like mvp or Mister. That were coming up, Carlito, another guy, Chris Masters. They never went anywhere with these. They never created new stars. you you have your intercontinental championship level, and then you would there's more IC champions and US champions that have been released rather than becoming WWE champion. And that's the wrong way it works. You know, you, you they've not built anybody up. And and now we're finally suited with McIntyre. Strowman to a lesser extent, because like I said, he was in that position. Hopefully they can actually build stars rather than going what gets that level and we'll just call back you know Undertaker or triple h for another match at mania because you're not at that level yet you know and i think we've seen that even with the miss i think the miss could be a, a main event the uh, same with morrison but just not getting the opportunity because it's like oh no we're going to keep you at that level and i hope with mcintyre they can say right let's put them on the john cena level because who else has been there in the last 10 15 years it would be no one really you know
1: in my opinion i think uh the one thing that creates stars is character and i feel like a lot of wrestlers are, are really happy with the way that their character is and they haven't exactly got much character i feel like everybody's got a personality but what makes people stand i would say ricochet Ricochet's is great in the ring he can do things that nobody's ever seen before but what's he there for what's he doing like why does he want to be there
0: It's it's all yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's it's all about kind of character development, but there's got to be a reason. Like when Stone Cold said, you know, if you're not here to be W F champion, you don't have to be there to be champion. But you've got what what gets gets you going. It's like someone like Kevin Owens. He's talked about his family. He's providing for his you know wife and son. That's his goal. And we know a little bit more about him. And he's one of the most over people because we've actually looked into the character a little bit and got a bit more development than we've had for the past couple of years. You know. Something
1: as well that I, I really miss from regular showing is a uh, jobbers. Why aren't jobbers a bigger thing anymore? Like I, I know people love you know the smaller guys and uh, but take Mojo Rawley for example. What is he right now? Like they try and make him so serious. He had this uh, he had this weird face paint. He was cutting some phenomenal promos in the mirror. To be fair to him, uh, in my opinion, they were some of the best promos of the years. Like the vignettes that he were doing were fantastic. But they didn't really do anything after. Like they tried to make him so serious No. Take that character, take that charisma and, you know, either a walking monster energy drink. Why can't he be something like that? Why can't Can you Can remember when Simon Dean would be trying to sell his protein shakes?
0: Yeah. <laughs> he'd, have,
1: he'd have full segments, like trying to sell protein shakes, and then obviously Stone Cold got involved and that put Simon Dean over, and he had Maven alongside him. It were a fantastic segment, you know, Stone Cold's there selling him to drink a beer, Simon Dean doesn't want, his, he doesn't want to drink a beer because he's too happy with the way his body is. And then he gets down to do some press ups. Well, imagine if you've got Mojo Rawley sat inside the ring, or he's sat backstage with a little table with a black cloth over top of it, and he's trying to sell a hype energy drink. You know, he's got a motive to be on that show. Then he wants to sell his drink. He wants to earn some money, and he's a big guy, so he can go in the ring. He can defend his company. But that gives him a reason to be on the show.
0: Yeah, but I, I think this is a problem. You you need the kind of, the reason to be, uh, but even the kind of you know talk about the roster and the strength in depth there, there's some guy you know like someone like alistair black who was possibly the coolest one you know coolest guy going in nxt and the way his character was and what he could do and and with that black mass kick he could that's why i always thought he'd be a perfect money in the bank winner because you knew all it'd take is one kick and he'd cash in and now it's like you hear the rumors of oh vince not being happy oh he's going to change character but he never did anything, you know. the teamed with Ricochet when he first moved up, and then you're getting the his, his eye taken out by Rollins and Murphy. You're thinking, what, what are they actually doing, you know? And and a lot of other guys. Uh, for me personally, like calling up guys, you're thinking, oh, out of all the people in NXT, I didn't think he'd be the one that, you know, be moved up. And you know, like someone like um, Angel Garza or something like that. I was a little bit, oh, okay, right, that's fair enough. So. But again, if it's working, I think that's fine. But for me at the moment, I don't think there's enough strength in depth. And I think the, the characters that they've got on top are characters that have been around for quite well. You know, we talk about Seth Rollins or Randy Orton, even a Rey Mysterio. I just feel it's a bit, you know, do you think it's right that they're going to have uh, Dominic in a match at SummerSlam?
1: I, I do, actually, yeah. I, I'm a, I'm really excited for it, to be honest. Oh, um, come
0: on. <laughs> I can't
1: tell you why. I can't tell you where this excitement's come from, but I don't know. I think he's paid his dues. Um, watching him in 2005, the custody of Dominic, what a match. And then, yeah. you know, get two side-by-side fours, and oh, I don't know. I, I, I were always a big Eddie fan. I was always a big Ray fan, so... Despite how stupid that match was, I always loved it. I loved every single second of it, especially when I was younger. And now I'm seeing Dominic by himself as big as he is, actually going to have a match with someone on a big show like this. I feel I like, don't know, uh, like yeah. Let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. Dominic has been he's been put to say, you know, like, oh he's never had a match before, he's barely ever had any training. Doesn't that make him an underdog? And that's exactly what Rey Mysterio was. Rey Mysterio was, you know, he's a five foot six or something like that. He's, he's about five foot six. He's dead skin. He's a cruiserweight, and he would take on the likes of the Big Show, Oh, yeah. the Triple H. He was an underdog because he was in the land of the giants, being so small. Well, isn't Dominic Mysterio now in the land of experience with no experience?
0: I think he now it is
1: an underdog. He becomes exactly what he's. He becomes exactly what Rey Mysterio is, and I, I really like that. I feel like uh, they can they can go a long way with it.
0: Well, my my problem with that is like we've uh, seen it in the past with like David Flair or I mean even Shane McMahon, you know, kind of being a put in that match, and it's saying okay, you you if it's a one-off match, fine, but if it's a position on the card, then it's just going to kind of cause of resentment. Because you talk about paying dues, which maybe Dominic has outside of WWE, but when you come in, you have to kind of, uh, you know, work your way up, so to speak. And I think with what might help him and what might hinder him is the fact that, yeah, Rey Mysterio is his dad. Because, he, you know, he might hit a 619, but he's never going to be what his father was. So he can maybe introduce a different style that might work. But I just feel like on the biggest, you know, biggest show of the summer, Dominic involved. I don't know, I'd much rather maybe have him in the corner. Of someone like an Alistair Black, and then you could be like, right, well, Alistair Black versus Seth Rollins. Oh my, God. what will Murphy and Dominic do at ringside? Well, have a tag team match.
1: I can see what you mean. I can see what you mean. I, I don't personally have a, anything against what they're doing now, so I can't really say much ag- against it. Um, but I understand what you're saying. I understand that you know the point that you're coming from. Um, talking about Alistair Black then, because you seem to be really high on him. Um, if he's not actually doing much now, what would you personally do to? neck and become this big
0: superstar like personally for you, what would you do
1: what with dominic no with alistair black
0: if i was going to make alistair black a big it would it would be simple yet effective and it would be uh outside the box you you have paul Heyman, and paul Heyman would say brock lesnar has dominated for for 10 15 years but i've got another guy and this one's alistair black and Black wouldn't have to say a word, just looks menacing. And Heyman says, right, he could be putting squash matches to begin with. Uh, maybe, like, said a US title, win a title run. And Heyman just speaking for Black. All Black has to do is come out, do his cool entrance, look good, black mask kick, job done. And then you can play between uh, Lesnar, because Lesnar's quite good with this as well. Kind of looking over his shoulder and thinking, well, how dangerous is Alistair Black? And then obviously, eventually leading the match, between the two and then you know you can have heyman either uh, costing lesnar and going with black which would make us the black even bigger star or have heyman costing black the match lesnar, and then you've got a pissed off baby face who you know he will say look i'm a man of few words but my, uh, my actions speak louder in the ring you know uh, i think that would be saying that they could definitely look at or just a guy like when's the last time we had a guy who just didn't take any nonsense Do you know like a, the best thing about stone cold would he come out if you didn't like what you're saying, he'd give you a stunner. You imagine someone like Alistair Black coming out and people talking to him. He's sick of it. Black Mass kick. I think that's something that we're missing at the moment in wrestling as well, you know. I
1: feel like uh, Kevin Owens had played that role really well.
0: Yeah, exactly. Come out, give him a stunner. As long as people didn't say then, oh, he's a Stone Cold imitator. Because I think this is the thing. Owens has got different layers that I don't think even Stone Cold had in certain times, you know.
1: I feel like uh, Alistair Black would be much better off with Zelina Vega inside. Like, picture Edge and Lita in your head, and then side by side with that, picture Alistair Black and Zelina Vega. I feel like them two, are, them two partnerships, are, you know, they share a lot of um, similarities, and I feel like Black would be able to give off a bit of attitude. And with Zelina Vega being a bit ghetto as well, I feel like uh, she's always great on the mic, she's always great with the manager work. So, imagine if. Um, Imagine if them two were together. You know, you have Alistair Black wearing, you know, his black shirt, a bit unbuttoned at the top, with his suit pants, and he's coming out with Zelina Vega by his side. I feel like um, that's like a, a match made in heaven.
0: Do you know what? Uh, exactly. But I think what we've, especially what we discussed in a couple of minutes, there's so much opportunity for someone like Alistair Black. You know, there's so many ideas and I don't understand how someone can go up to him and create and go, do you know what? We actually haven't got anything for you at the moment. And that's not having to go kind of the way WWE do things or whatever it is. But I think with him, there's, there's a star talent there, isn't there? You know, you see him, you go, he actually looks like a star.
1: I completely agree with you. And I feel like at the minute, I don't think there'll be much for him. But I'm telling you, in about three to five years, he will be probably the biggest star on the show. And that's simply because the best characters are the characters that you can't book for yourself. And that's why the Attitude Era was so special, because everyone had a character. You can't just sit there and say, well, what if this guy did this? What if this guy did this? It's all in your imagination, like, oh, well, what's he actually going to do next? You can't sit there and say to yourself, he's going to do this. You know, a, a guy turns heel, and you know the all reliable promo is, oh, it's the fan's fault, or I've done it because I'm not respected. But then you get someone like... For example, The Undertaker, who's got this massive character, over-the-top character that, you know, you don't really know what's going to happen. Same with The Fiend. This is what's so special about The Fiend. Where The Fiend five years ago? Every three years ago. He was losing every single week. He had a great promo, but he was mm. losing every single week. And uh, now you have The Fiend, who's actually quite a hard character, book by himself. Vince has actually got trust in Bray. To, uh, yeah. It, it, he's got trust in Bray for creative. I'm pretty sure. Um, is it true that Bray Wyatt helps... Other people with promos backstage.
0: Yeah, I mean he's one of those who, like I said, he he knows everything about his character, and he he's there to help people out. And we've seen. That's what I his... mean. Um, I feel
1: like a lot about paying your dues nowadays is spending time on the roster, getting hold of what wrestling is on the higher stage, and eventually earning the boss's trust. And I feel like that's what Bray did, and that's why he's become who he is. I feel like that's why Kofi Kingston is who he is now. I feel like that's why Brock is as big as Brock is.
0: Well, this is the thing. I think you, you need, and I think with all great wrestling characters we've seen, it's their own personality turned up. And I think obviously with The Fiend, it's not like that. But, you know, if Bray's come up with this idea. They kind of let him alone in this creative process. And he's come out with something that's knocked out of the park. And I think that would say to other stars or other superstars, you know, even if McMahon's is not saying to you, Oh, come up with saying if you're coming up with ideas yourself and going, this is my character, this is what I want to do, then they're gonna probably, you know, nine times out of ten go. Do you know what? Let's give it a go. If it doesn't work, we'll just scrap it. I don't think there's enough of that. I don't think there's enough of wrestlers now saying, hang on a minute. Like you said, it's too comfortable. They're 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 performing either on main event or on Raw. They've got their money and they're saying, do you know what? I don't want to rock the boat too much. I'd rather be here than anywhere else. And I think that's why I'm what, what we're seeing i it, not having a go at Dolph Ziggler, but Ziggler's a guy that I think could have had multiple title reigns. You know, you talk about not the next edge, but a guy, you know, multiple time champion as a heel or a face. And if it would be WWE saying, oh, because you got injured, we're not going to give you a chance. But I don't think he ever thought, right, he's quite comfortable. He can go from Mandy Rose to a, a mid-card feud. Whereas I feel like he could, if he wanted to go, no, I can be a main eventer. I don't know what you think about that.
1: I feel like he could do to some extent. I feel like uh, Ziggler's miles better off as a a face than what he is a heel. He's run with The Miz. Were it in 2017, 2018 for the IT title?
0: 2017, yeah.
1: That was fantastic. It was so good. Uh, What, Rick? The match where um, if Ziglar lost, he had to retire for it?
0: Yes, no mercy. Yeah, it was absolutely unbelievable, yeah.
1: It was an unbelievable story. And that match, I remember actually sitting there and just thinking to myself, He's not going to win this, is he? he <laughs> he's really going to retire. I was sat there just thinking to myself, like he's had a really good run, hasn't he? And then he, like he ended up winning the title, and I was like, you know what? Fair play. Really, what well, like you know what? Really well done. They've really put some effort into this story. It's really made it interesting. He, the promos between the two of these two have they've been so captivating. I've been interested from the start to the finish, and it worked. It really worked, and I feel like Ziggler can do that as a baby face, as a heel. However. I feel like everything's kind of repetitive. He's just kind of the same person.
0: Well, it's a it's a Kurt Henning slash kind of heartbreak kid rip off in a way of you know I'm better than you and this is what I do. I, I don't get me wrong, I don't mind that, but like I said, like we're saying, the emotion that Ziggler can have is I think that's what makes some wrestlers so great. You they can you can feel sorry for him or you you know it's like that cashing um <laughs> when he win a one world title. It's top you know top three top five pops of all time because everybody in the crowd was so happy and to get that range of emotion it is quite difficult as well, you know?
1: Yeah, of course. I feel like um, as a baby face, he's, he's so good. As a heel, I just kind of want to see him be a, like a parody of Motley Group. Yeah. And I feel uh, it, it's not, it's quite repetitive what he does. I, I want to see more from him. Um, again, that's no, it's no sharing on him. I think it's fantastic. It's just personal
0: in, not my taste. Yeah. Well, I, I think the thing is, uh, throughout, you know, you kind of pick favourites, you know, throughout the years, or well, I, I did anyway. And I think Ziggler was on there, you know, with like CM Punk and McIntyre. I like to kind of pick out a couple of guys and think, right, there's potential for you. Uh, I also picked out Mr. Kennedy, which didn't help out. But, you know, there, there's certain guys you think. <laughs> oh, they've definitely got, you know, potential, they've got something about them. And uh, like I said, in recent years, they've never kind of jumped into main event. And hopefully now, during this time, we'll see a few guys, you know, they talk about building a future stuff. Let's hope they actually do, you know. Um, right, anyway, so we're talking about Raw. And uh, just last thing, I want to talk about gang warfare on Raw because obviously we've got the Hurt Locker, We've got the Vega, Andrade, Garza, uh, Murphy and Rollins. And we've got the new group, Retribution. What are your thoughts on them?
1: On uh, on Retribution? Yeah. (laughs) I can't say Retribution. Um, Excuse (laughs) me. Controversial, but in my opinion, the better than the Nexus.
0: Oh, fucking hell. Right, got (laughs) him. Here we go. I did see
1: how the When
0: When the Nexus first come and destroyed the ring and John Cena... Uh, because I'd watched a little bit of NXT, but I was like, "What? what is going on here? Amazing, because you've never seen seven guys kind of destroying the roster the way they did. I was so excited about that angle up until SummerSlam. And then when as soon as John Cena, with that DDT on the concrete, popped back up again, I thought, that's them done. And again, way back is another guy who's a, who looked like a main event uh, future world champion without any doubt. And they just, dropped the ball so I think Nexus I was really excited and then it was just like pulled away and it was like nah yeah.
1: did you not ever know that <laughs> whenever the Nexus were around they were never team they were never called stars ever they were called rookies every single week they were the rookies of NXT <laughs> network the, rookies. Um, you look at and the biggest complaint I've seen people have about them is their height you know all, you get someone like Bronco in there and he'll throw them all around. You get someone like Reigns coming there. He'll throw them all around. They're they're too small. But the Nexus were rookies. The Nexus were meant to be shit, <laughs> so to speak. They were meant they were meant to be people that had the number. Uh, they meant to have the numbers game, but not the actual wrestling game. They were rookies. They were from NXT. They were on a game show. They were just they were just rookies. They were there. They were. They were rookies of professional wrestlers on the main roster as it were so whenever i looked at the nexus i never really saw them as an actual threat i just saw them as a bit of a gang whereas retribution you know they, you see them come in and especially i mean yeah, i feel like the pandemic helps them because they never fight you know uh, bleep them out when they're cutting home or raveling in front of a large crowd and you can't really do that i feel like it's fantastic the way that they've been but you know they're messing around with um the what's it called production they're messing around with molotovs and then you know they're actually coming in attacking people and they've got fucking chainsaws cutting down ropes and you know they're breaking up the ring just like the nexus did i feel like that has the exact same impact now as what it did then i feel like the only thing that nexus did better was the timing. i feel like back then you know you know everyone kind of knew at that point wrestling is fake everybody knew even your kids um wrestling were fake but then you know they come and rip up the ring and you see these massive hard floorboards and people say like huh you know they, they do actually land on something quite hard there there's not yeah, much yeah. bad in there, is there you know people start to think of it that way and that's when they become a bit more of a threat that's when people start to think you know you know what wrestling's pretty dangerous isn't it and i feel like when retribution do that now it's not quite the same with what the nexus did that's the only thing i think the nexus i like the upper hand on but retribution there's loads of them obviously like we saw last night on smackdown there's more of them they said that on commentary you know it looks like there's more of them so they've got some tall they've got some small they've got some women they've got some guys and i feel like there's more to do with that i feel like you know especially with um reports saying that like they're literally there to create a a change in products anyway it seems to me like they're going to have more of an impact than the nexus did anyway in my opinion the Nexus, like i said before the nexus were just they were just rookies yeah when there's seven of them around the ring at one time. The one person in the ring is obviously going to get beat down. But what happens when it becomes a seven-on-seven? Seven? This is why, you know, the Nexus versus uh, never really bothered me. I mean, it, it should have done, but it never really bothered me because they are rookies. You're not going to get a rookie in event star, a, a main a start in a one-on-one match. I, I never understood that. I never understand why people will think that when they're just being booked as rookies. If you want to make them something special, then, you know, have Michael Tyra have, uh, you know, one-on-one matches. Make, at the time, Skip Sheffield have one-on-one matches where they're actually winning. They're actually beating, you know, mid-card guys who are actually coming up.
0: But this is a problem, though, with, like I said, the problem with groups this past, you know, however many years is they have such a strong start and then don't actually follow through. The, I would think the only, I mean, the whites you could argue about, I feel the Shield are the only group that have been treated with the right respect of what a group should be when they come in and kind of run roughshod, but then have to pick up victories. Like you said, to, to make them an actual threat, you have to beat some people. And to pick up victories over guys who have been around the roster makes more sense. My only problem for Retribution would be, is either, you know, they they still go around the hoodies or they reveal themselves and then they're just treading ground again as a kind of mid-card group. If you want to make a huge impact, you have them dominating and picking up victories over guys and winning championships. Otherwise, you know, what's the point of a new group, you know?
1: Oh, I completely agree with you there. I feel like once Retribution have actually revealed themselves and you see who's, you know, the actual members, people get behind it more. Um, and when everyone was saying, like, oh, he's small dude, isn't one of the names rumoured to be Tamato? I mean, people kind of forget Champ is a cruiserweight, he's a small guy. Um, so if people are going to complain now that they're too small and you know it's champers it's the off, people aren't going to be saying the same and i like people are just pointing out problems in mind for the sake of pointing out problems because it's a cool thing to do and um, you look at retribution right now and it's something fresh like i was saying before it's something fresh something new and um, the nexus they, they were decent they were they were good I, I enjoyed the nexus but like i said they were boxes rookies the retribution are boxes the folks the boxes, you know, people are coming in trying to take over the show. And um, I respect that. I respect how uh, how different um the booking side is and I don't know. I, I think retribution pushes it over the edge for me, just purely because they're not booked as rookies. They're butter's people that have um the numbers gained But they're also butters people that can stand up a fight with someone.
0: Yeah. No, I'd I would I, I would agree with you there and I think this is the thing, if they the works retribution, if they start picking I think that it will matter. Uh, all right, last thing about Raw then is talk about, do TV ratings, do the ratings actually matter? Do you, do you I've, I've had this discussion with, with so many people, do you look at TV ratings and go, well, oh, Raw got 1.7, I'm not going to watch that next week. Or do you see it and they got a 2.1, you go, oh, I'm definitely going to watch that. Do they have any bearing whatsoever in what wrestling shows you watch?
1: Not at all. Not a chance. <laughs> not a chance. Let's put it this way, Raw had the worst rating for so long, maybe two weeks ago, the week after they have Raw Underground, they have you know strippers on Raw Underground, they have Retribution show up, this big stack show you know everything's going on, everything's really good, you have Randy Orton coming up doing some of the best work he's ever done, um, and the ratings are still quite low compared to what they were before, I mean they might have gone up maybe 0.2, but you know, it's not much of a difference, and if a show is going to be that good, by it, like I said before, I think WWE's been the best. It's been a very long time, and the ratings are still that low. I feel like it's just because of the way that wrestling is nowadays. Back then, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have you know dirt sheets, you didn't have you know journalists that will you know spoil shows for you in advance. You didn't have rumors, you didn't have anything like that. You got what you saw.
0: Well, this sorry to interrupt, but I was saying like to to try and explain so when i used to watch raw it used to be on a friday night on sky sports so yeah. i had four or five days to actually watch the program and then when smackdown was on it was on like a saturday night and i can't believe now i can't fathom if i was a a young kid, you know whatever it was 14 15 and i had all this access to you know watch stuff live and and go on my tablet and watch new japan and and aw i mean i wouldn't have seen sunlight it was just i can't get my head around it nowadays you know of even back then with how the ratings were it's it's people who stuck by the kind of or you know waited and didn't hear spoilers and stuff like that. it's it's not possible now so maybe some people are going oh, well, I, I I go to work on a Tuesday and it gets ruined for me or whatever it is, so I don't watch it. You know, maybe, I, I don't know, but yeah, for me, but, but you but
1: know... What I mean, like there's so much more access to finding what a show is this time. You know, people stream shows, you know, um, a lot of people will use different websites to watch over Smackdown and that doesn't actually, you know, get added onto the rating. But then, you know, you think about the 90s, how high the ratings were. That was because, one, the Attitude Era was probably the peak of wrestling I don't think it will ever top that I feel like now though especially now um, there's more ways of watching it there's more ways of finding out rumours there's more ways of finding out what happens behind the scenes what happens uh, two minutes before a show two minutes after a show You know, it, it's if we're in the business when we're not and I feel like uh, when people feel like that they feel like they're too big to watch it You know, I, I was having a conversation with someone the other day and they were saying like, oh, all they do is just watch the highlights the next day and they uh, they can judge a show off that and I was just thinking so you're watching the show that's not com- that's not part of the that's not part of the ratings so the ratings don't really matter in my opinion if a well, ra- uh, uh, ratings matter in the sense of trying to keep the show on the air yeah. obviously but besides that I wouldn't really worry about ratings too much like I said before I think um it's been the best it has been in a very long time at the minute and the ratings don't kind of kind of explain that like uh-huh. in my, uh, the, the greatest part of uh, my favourite part is... Like, my favourite era is the Rufus aggression era. Like, I love that era. I thought I had everything. I thought it the um, attitude era, the of golden era, and even the shades of what wrestling is, like today. Um, wrestling were more... And I feel like it. that was the most advanced part of wrestling. I pr- actually prefer a technical wrestling match from 2004 than I do from 2020.
0: Well, like I said... So, so, well, 2004 is when I... I mean, because JBL's title run and stuff like that. But, you know, it's um, <laughs> like 2003 was <laughs> such... Like, surprisingly, 2003 is one of my favourite pay-per-views because you've just got so much star power and so many great matches. And it's like, I think, like you said, the Ruthless Aggression era did so much because it's probably the last time they actually built proper stars as well. You know, it's the last time uh, you talk about your Randy Orton's, your Lesnar, and you see Batista all coming from that point. And I think that was vital you know, actual era was, don't get me wrong, really, really successful. But if you didn't create those new stars in the Ruthless Aggression era, then there would be WWE more trouble. And I think the reason why they're in a little bit trouble now is because they've not built stars this past 10 years. And it's coming back to kind of bite them a little bit as well.
1: Of course, of course. And when my, the thing that does it for me is when I'm absolutely fine with bringing back um, veterans or bringing back legends for a big show. I've got nothing against that, personally, because when I was a kid, I enjoyed seeing these big names come back for matches. Um, in fact, the first WrestleMania I ever stayed up to watch live was um, 2009, WrestleMania 25, and I got to see um, Undertaker, Sean, and I absolutely love that match. To this day, it's probably my favourite wrestling match of all time. But then, at the same time, I really enjoyed seeing like Ricky Steamboat show up.
0: Yes. Like,
1: I enjoy stuff like that. I enjoy seeing veterans coming. I enjoy seeing legends coming. But at the same time, I feel like the veteran, the legend, cannot go over every single time. And that's just where it does it for me. Yeah. I watched wrestling from the Ruthless Aggression era. You have Hulk Hogan coming, and you have uh, Roddy Piper coming, and they're not winning in every match. I mean, Hogan, you can probably say differently. But um, any other legend that came in back then, they would put people over. All the time. Every single time. And yeah. like, like when uh, we're at 2018, 2017 maybe, uh, the headbangers came back. And I feel like even though they're not exactly a big name, they're still legends and they've come back and they've managed to put people over. And I enjoy stuff like that. I want to see, see good names come back. It's a nice nostalgia feeling. I just don't want to see them win everything.
0: But it's the whole, it's meant to be the passing of the torch. And it, even going back to kind of like WrestleMania 3 with Andre and Hogan, it was a fact of, Hogan beat Andre, it was a passing of torch moment. Have we seen that, you know, in recent times as well? It, it's it, That's the kind of thing that we're dealing with. I'll tell you a funny story about WrestleMania 25. I stayed up and watched it with a friend, uh, Jared, who used to do the show. Okay. And he stayed up, up until the opening promo, uh, the promo for the Untaker Michaels match, and he fell asleep. He then missed the greatest wrestling match in history oh, really? <laughs> and woke up for the Randy Orton Triple H main event. Which... Oh. <laughs> so I did try and wake him, but, you know, what can you do?
1: It gets a with stuff like that. Like, you know, it's little things in matches. I feel like uh, you don't have to have a five-star match every single match on the card. I feel like that ruins five-star matches. Um, I like moments just as much as I like matches. For example, um, the Edge-Cena-Big Show match wasn't fantastic. It wasn't a great match. It was a good match, but it wasn't a great match. But Something that everyone will always remember, like, is Cena picking up both Big Show and Edge. And that makes that match memorable. Can you remember the finish? No. Can you remember the way it started, the the different lockups? ups Can you remember one hold that they did in that match? No. But you can remember Cena picking up Big Show and Edge at the same time. And I feel like that creates just as big as a moment as, you know, a, a fucking seven-and-a-half-star match.
0: Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, my first WrestleMania watching live was WrestleMania 15, which is probably one of the worst manias of all time. But it didn't matter to me, because you had the... like it's talk about moments you had Triple H turn on an X-Puck, which is kind of the most shocking moments of, what's DX doing here? You know, like, oh, I couldn't remember what... You know what I mean? Or, or what happened after... But it's that moment of going... Whoa, like I've never seen that before. Or Austin winning the championship. Was that the best match that the Rock and Austin had? No. But in the moment of Vincent Mann on his knees looking at Austin raising the title, it's just magic, you know? Of
1: um, course. One of my favourite wrestling matches of all time is uh, SummerSlam 2002. Angle and Mysterio. You
0: know, because yeah. What? Well, hang on.
1: A 10 minute match. That's it. Just a 10 minute match and you've got everything thrown into it. I feel like that type of technical wrestling is better than what today's is. Because now, you know, it, I don't want to say it feels choreographed, but it feels choreographed. I don't like how everybody has to be stood in a certain position. And, you know, you, you, you can kind of tell when something's going to happen. Back then, you know, for example, take someone like Angle. You can see him, um, you know, doing the amateur wrestling, trying to take someone down to the ground. You can, you know, you're looking into it and you're like, oh, he's trying to take him down to the ground to do this, he's trying to do that. And you know you watch something nowadays, and you're thinking, hmm, well, we've just bent over them ropes just so we can send someone over the top. And, you know, you kind of, you can kind of see it where back then. It felt real, even though you know it were not So you know, everything matters, You know, a slam counts so much for the match.
0: Well, that match, that SummerSlam in itself is just brilliant because you've got the Angle Mysterio match to start off, which is just it's Angle. You talk about best wrestlers on the planet. Angle in 2002, there was no one better. And you could put him in a match with a, a mop and he would have had a five-star match. Like, that's... his match. With, he had a match with Hulk Hogan at King of the Ring, which made Hogan look brilliant, which no one had done in, you know, a year previously. And it's just that whole show itself. And then you look at, you know, you had Shawn Michaels and Triple H, didn't you, in the unsanctioned match. Brock versus Brock in the main event. And you're thinking, wow, look Summer Slam, And what have we got this year? <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to it this year. I'm really excited for it this year. I feel like it, it has the potential to be one of the greatest. Obviously, you know, he's going to struggle with the the lack of fans, even if they are up on little monitors. You know, it's going to struggle like that. But at the same time, I enjoy the way that they've booked up until summer this year. You know, I, there's a bunch of matches that you, you know you just think of and just think, you know, what their story's been all right. It's been pretty interesting. You know, like you were uh, Wyatt and uh, Braun, I feel like the story that they've had there th- uh, showing the three faces of um, Wyatt has been interesting. I feel like um, the story of um, obviously McIntyre and Randy Orton has been fantastic. Them two are just, they've got so much chemistry when they're in the ring together on the mic. I can't wait to see what they're like actually in the ring together. Then you've got the likes of, you know, Bailey and Sasha Banks. They've been absolutely running the show recently. And I've loved every single second of it just because they're like little Karens really, aren't they?
0: That was bigger. Right. So uh, what we'll do now, we'll just for Raw, because um, Raw has, uh, we've been speaking about it. We're just, gonna, is it been hit or miss for you? Has Raw been a hit or a miss these since, we say since COVID, go on. Uh, definitely a hit. I would have to agree with you as well. I think with Raw it's brought something different. And I think sometimes people will pick anything apart. Even if like we said they had uh Kurt Angle versus Mysterio starting off the show, they would say, Oh, they only gave it ten minutes or the the uh Mysterio should have gone over. I it's think so, that's back. the problem.
1: He's only gone ten minutes. I thought <laughs> oh just thought away EW instead of in this prison. <laughs> Come on, man, chill out
0: It's just like, come go on, guys. So, definitely worth the three hours a week. And, and I will say something quickly as well. Um, the, one of the reasons why I started the podcast five years ago is because I was listening to other podcasts, and they were saying, oh, I don't really watch Raw. I don't really watch SmackDown. I don't watch this. If you don't, what, what's the point of doing a show if you don't know what you're talking about? Exactly. exactly. You know, if you've not watched Raw, SmackDown, and AW NXT, I know it's a lot of time. But that's why I'm single, you know? So, I don't, I don't mind. <laughs> All right, so we'll move on to SmackDown then. And uh, we'll start off with Braun Strowman's championship run. What have you thought of his title run since WrestleMania? Since Mania? I'm a bit 50-50 on it because at first I didn't really...
1: In fact, no. When he won the title, I was really happy. You know, here we go. Braun's finally won the big one. He's finally done it. Um, and then... When I started seeing him as champion, I was a bit like, uh, you know, I'm not really feeling it. And now, recently, yeah, he's really started to pick up for me and, you know, he's just shaved his head. And I feel like with a shaved head, he looks great. I feel like he looks like a champion. Um, right now, I'm really enjoying it. But let's say a month ago, I was probably on the other side of the So I'm a bit 50-50. I feel like uh, you'd have to have more than one side of the run for me to say how I feel.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's quite lucky to, like I say, get this championship run, obviously, because of what happened with uh, Roman Reigns. I mean, he, he got to that level a couple of years ago where it just looked like he was a surefire champion. And they kind of, I don't know if it was a case of just losing steam with him or whatever they did. But I, I feel with a Fiend, like that, that character itself, there's so many different layers because he brings out something in his opponents. And we've seen it, you know, with uh, Seth Rollins or, you know, whoever else he's been facing, Finn Balor, that we get another side and I think Strowman's it's helping him a lot in this, especially if you to be someone who's so comfortable with, with Bray and to know the kind of character they're dealing with. Like I said, it's a kind of perfect storyline leading into some slam, isn't it? You know?
1: Yeah, of course. I feel like, um, the three, four faces of Bray has been fantastic. And I feel like the only person who that had really worked with is Braun. So even if it, this is literally just a transitional, um, title run for the fiend to win the title back uh i don't mind it, it as a title run itself it's been reasonable it's been okay um as for uh, keeping me interested um it's taken a while to do that
0: yeah i think i would agree but i think like with even the alexa bliss kind of element being added to it as well different layers and and when you can get invested in it and actually the storyline makes sense I think that's a lot of you know a way of going with it whereas previously like with the you know the Miz and Morrison you kind of you knew what was going to happen there. And I think that's what we talked about and what I've you know kind of especially we we wanna we don't want to know what's going on. We don't want to sit down at a roar or SmackDown or paper and go, Oh, this is what's gonna happen. We kinda wanna be surprised but I think sometimes they think, Oh, we'll just switch the title because they're not expecting it rather than giving us something that's really unexpected, you know. And I think that's why the attitude era maybe works so well and and other say like you know, when WSW started happening, you know, with Nitro, you tune in every week and you weren't sure what was gonna happen. And I think that's too cool. many you know, too many times now it's oh, we know this is this is what's gonna happen here, you know.
1: I feel like something that they've missed a lot is ending a show on a cliffhanger, and they've started doing that again recently, you know, and that's incredible in my opinion. I love a show that ends on a cliffhanger because it makes you want to watch next week. For example, when um, the fiend came after Alexa Bliss, that happened, and the week after, you know, you, you sat there thinking to yourself, "Well, what's going to happen? Are we going to get an evil Alexa? Uh, are we going to get a, an evil Alexa Bliss now?" It adds that bit of. Psychological input to you, where you know it's more of a psychological interest, like a mental interest.
0: I, I think it's I think it's been really really well done uh, recent times. Like I said, with Braun's title reign at the start, it's not worked. Uh, will he get another chance? If he does drop the title, uh at the moment, who is there at that level that could possibly take on the fiend after SummerSlam if it's not a straight. Braun Strowman rematch. You know, that's um, gonna be slightly interesting.
1: I wouldn't mind seeing Jeff Hardy go after that with um a bit of a character twist. Um yeah, I think it was teasing Willow recently. I might be wrong there, but I'm pretty sure I saw him teasing a bit of Willow, so um I think it were the the contacts that he has in his eyes, he wore the Willow contacts.
0: But I feel like even uh like a you know Firefly Funhouse with Jeff Hardy could like we've seen with Matt in AEW, like the different changes in his character could be seen throughout the whole thing there and be done as well as they kind of did with John Cena as well. And someone like Jeff, he's got so much history. I think that would maybe make a little bit of sense, but it's difficult because I think with The Fiend, we want him to be dominant as well, you know, so it's kind of a bit, I don't want 50-50 booking in that way. In my
1: opinion, this will be uh, how it goes. We'll have the theme feud with Jeff Hardy, and then after that, we'll be with a with Biggie. And I feel like if there's one person that will have the chance, it will be Biggie because he's meant to be having his little singles push at the minute. And I feel like once that was on, to that Biggie, that's when all like Otis cash in.
0: Well, I, the thing is with what I've said about the Otis cash in is I think he's going to give the briefcase to Roman Reigns. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> uh, I feel like everybody's expected. They, they, they've obviously lost confidence in Otis recently with the kind of backlash that they've got and stuff like this. And, you know, you could even maybe give it to Mandy Rose and her cash-in or tag team. But I feel if Otis doesn't feel he's the best man, you know, when Roman returns, he goes, here, Roman, here's your opportunity that you missed out on Mania. Go and hit it out of the park. And whether that happened the night after SummerSlam or, you know, leading up to Survivor Series, I think that would be quite cool for Roman to be like, oh, you know, let me take my place on top. He probably won't need that because he'll be put straight back into the main event picture. But I think that, that'd be quite a cool story with Otis saying, look, I'm not ready yet. And then build Otis up for a year and say, right, let's get me more serious. Let me, you know, get the fans behind me and see what we can do.
1: At the same time, well, two minutes ago, you said that you wouldn't mind him seeing it and give it to Mandy Rose. What if you proposed with, the, with a briefcase?
0: But, but that's what I like about because there's so many different opportunities as well like without it's a standard cash in when he wins the title is just going to have such kind of major backlash or an unsuccessful cash in will just kill him off you know
1: well uh, i have a bit of a controversy for you i've actually um tweeted this once before and i had a few bearing in mind at this point i probably had about 60 followers yep. um i had a good amount of people telling me that i'm a bit of a bell in for uh, for saying um Otis Dozevich could be the next Dusty Rhodes.
0: Well, uh, well as in... uh well, OK, so I can see why people... Right, because the problem with Twitter is that you put something like that out and then people go, well, he's nothing like Dusty Rhodes, but I assume you're meaning like a, a son of a plumber, the kind of traditional kind of a guy, a blue chipper that we can look at and go, there's a guy who's more relatable to us than a Randy Orton, and he's kind of got the people behind him, yeah?
1: Exactly. Literally, Otis literally calls himself... What is it, the... Um... Working man Otis yeah, 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 Um, he literally called himself the working man Otis Obviously, the son of a plumber, Dusty Rhodes. Otis has, you know, a bit of build to him. is is a, a bigger boy. Um, he he has his own specific look, and he has a similar to that, uh, similar look to what Dusty Rhodes had. At the same time, Otis isn't actually terrible on the mic. He's actually really smart. He's a funny character. He's relatable to everybody else because he's a bigger guy. He's, um, he's someone that is out of place, kind of. But then he gets on the mic and he can defend that. He can back that up. And then when he's in the ring, again, he can back that up. But obviously, he has his comedy side, but his serious side is a lot better than people taking credit for. But- and I feel like, um, obviously not just yet, but through the next couple of years, I think people start to see it and Otis could be still a, a big, a big name.
0: But do you feel? Because I think this is my problem. Because you hear it from people like Jim Cornette, who I don't really, you know, care what they say. But it's like funny doesn't equal money, and I don't agree with that. Because, like you said, a comedy character like Santino Marella being champion maybe wouldn't work. But at the Rumble, when we thought he was going to eliminate Del Rio, the crowd were were <laughs> so into that point. You know, you, you can't say they weren't. And and we, I think we've seen it with. You know, talk about Kurt Angle. Look how great Angle was. And he could be as silly as anything and and, and laugh. And you didn't discredit him because of it. You know? I think
1: the thing with Kurt Angle, though, is um, despite how goofy he was, he was a legitimate athlete. Uh, that's something else I feel like missing, especially from your SmackDown. Um, I've always seen Raw as, you know, your wacky, so opera show And then SmackDown is your... Your classic wrestling show fact, I want to see people wearing, you know, tracksuits and stuff. I don't want to see them wearing merch backstage in full ring attire, like full ring gear. I want to see them wearing, like, tracksuits and, like, gym clothes, you know, as if they've just had a session. If they're not on the show, then they're doing a session in the gym. I want to see them, like, in sports gear. And um, I feel like when Kurt Angle were doing that back then, he felt like a big deal. You know, there were a clip with him, like, a segment between him and Brock Lesnar, where, you know, they were trying to see how many press ups they could do. Like, that is stupid. It's funny, but it makes
0: them look creditable. Um, this, is, yeah, I think we've got angle. That's the, thing, uh... that's the thing
1: with angle. Why, like, even though you know, I have a lot to say about Jim Cornett, and um, I'm not actually someone that disagrees with everything he says because I actually think a lot of points he makes is true. Um, you know, I, I understand his point of view. I understand where he gets these. Obviously, I think you know he can be a bit of a bit of an idiot. Let's say because. And the racism and everything that follows on from there but the points that Jim Cornette makes isn't always wrong and it's hard to say without me seeming like a you know a big Cornet head um Cornette's an old head he's a he's a boomer he's a wrestling boomer he comes from the territorial days you know you think even back in the attitude era you know we bring in the NWA guys you know, the classic wrestlers. You know, he was a, he was a wrestling fan and you can always tell, like he, he cares about wrestling and I feel like that's why he's so passionate with what he says. That's why you get so pissed off when he sees something stupid because he doesn't like the movement that wrestling is now, he doesn't like the transition that it's become. He, you know, he's still got that old mentality and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I feel
0: like
1: no, no. you know, N W A, how that is now, like that's fa- that's a fantastic show. People love that. Edge and Orton from Backlash, you know, people love that. Um, I think there needs to be more of it. And Jim Cornette expresses that. I just feel like it maybe goes around it the wrong way.
0: Well, I think with Cornette, he just wants to go back to Smoky Valley Wrestling days of, you know, the kind of what it was, which is, like, like I said, the thing with wrestling is that it's open to having that style along with everything else. You yeah. Know? So I, I think with that, I enjoy a, a technical match. As much as you know, um, kind of the high flying guys, and that like I said, I get annoyed when they, Will Osprey and Ricochet, get called like kind of flippy wrestlers because for me, it's about a story they tell in the ring, and and that's what I kind of I'm more in with that, uh, and I, and I feel with you know with funny equals money, it's like we see it with Mick Foley um, when he kind of managed, you know, became the commissioner. I think he had so much more fun. Uh, with that as opposed to what he was kind of doing before and I'm, I'm oh, hoping, yeah, of you know, and, and, and to show a little bit, it's like McIntyre or Big E, like Big E on, on Twitter is hilarious, he's so funny and the stuff he does in with The New Day is silly and the same with McIntyre being goofy but it doesn't mean that you're an idiot because you're funny, it's just an added layer you know?
1: Of course, of course and um, I, again I agree with that, I feel like there's so many people that they don't have Character, but they have a little bit of personality, and I feel like when you have a bit of a funny background, it kind of adds to that character rather than just a person Like Ricochet is just a personality, Cedric Alexander is just a personality. I feel like there needs to be more characters. I'm not saying that everybody has to have a gimmick, but everybody has to have a character, they have to have something about them, you know, and know mm-hmm. why they're there. And that's, in my opinion, probably the biggest problem.
0: Yeah, you need a reason. If you haven't got a reason to be around, then you are just filling space at that point. You know, if if your goal is to become the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time, that's fine, but that's what you should be saying to everybody. Do you know what I mean? Or being the best yes. tag team that ever was. You know, when's the last time a tag team's come out and said, we want to be as big as, like, you know, road warriors or the Dudleys? You know, that kind of doesn't happen. So when it comes to... Maybe with WWE more than anything else, but I think with a lot of other wrestling promotions... You kind of, you got your, your story, like very famously McMahon uh, was saying like 10 years ago, he just focused on what John Cena was doing. He doesn't really care about what any other guys are doing. And I feel like you've got your six guys in WWE who have probably got long-term storylines and then everything else is just up in the air, you know?
1: What are your opinions on what Rollins said recently when he said that fans aren't patient enough for long-term storybooking? Because I agree with it. I'm 100% standing by that point.
0: I, I do agree in a way. I think Seth Rollins has been—he is the kind of WWE—I am um, not say figurehead at the moment—but he said a lot of stuff, you know, on Twitter and and to make comments protecting WWE, which is understandable, you know, that that's fine. I think when if there is long-term planning to matches, then by all means it needs a payoff. But how many long-term build-ups or build, you know, payoffs? Have we seen in recent times? Like the Dominic one, is he just talking about, oh, because Mysterio's going to return? But what other ones have we seen with that? Oh, hopefully, he's talking about Buddy Murphy turning on him at some point. Because I think Murphy's a guy who has maybe personality lacking a little bit, but is just so talented, you know?
1: In my opinion, Buddy Murphy is WWE's answer to Kenny Omega. I honestly think he's that good. Um, you gave Amen. him. <laughs> You give him a half an all match and he will have the best match on the card.
0: Yeah, and I, I think hopefully, you know, if they can turn um, him on Rollins, because we've seen a little bit with Murphy not being happy, has he, you know, and um, hopefully they can, if he, if Rollins talk about that, if they just kind of end the storyline at SummerSlam, then I think fans have got a point because they do get frustrated because they want a story to kind of make sense throughout time. I know there's a lot of negative, but I think most people watching Raw Smackdown want to be rewarded for their uh, loyalty, so to speak.
1: I can agree with that at the same time. Um, I also have to say, though that I don't mind wacky storylines whatsoever. Like, Montez Ford getting poisoned. I sat there and I pissed myself laughing. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's stupid things. Like, were anybody complaining with it when Eddie Guerrero decided to poison um, the Big Show's burrito? <laughs> oh yeah, were, like were anybody <laughs> complaining then, or everybody laughing? Everyone were laughing. It, it was funny, it's stupid stuff. If you're gonna have someone like you know Orton and McIntyre have this big serious story on Raw, and then a bit further down the card, you know you've got um you've got Rollins' stable. I always call him the Monarchy. So if you ever hear me say the Monarchy, then you know oh.
0: um
1: you know you've got the Monarchy. Who were you know this dead serious faction with Rey Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio? I don't care how stupid that were about taking Ray eye out. I thought again that would piss funny. You know, a ping pong ball, that is actual eyeball. I do not care. Story wise, in KFIB, his eyeball came out. So I'm gonna live with that. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go with that. That's hilarious. Um, it's, it's stupid, but it, it they, they made it serious, and with some more John commentary, anything that is meant to be serious kind of becomes serious. Um,
0: That's what I felt. I feel you need someone on commentary to kind of like a say, like a Bobby Heenan type of to make a little bit of a joke about it, so it's fans or people watching know because otherwise it's kind of like it's like the stretcher, you know, when somebody gets wheeled out. How many times have we seen that, and how many times doesn't it get reaction because you're going, oh, we've seen this a hundred times because somebody know it's not real. Yeah. you know, I think that's a slight problem as well, you know.
1: On um, on Raw, I want to see Corey Graves and Tom Phillips, because on NXT, in their NXT days, they were fantastic together. Tom Phillips were a nice little baby face. Corey Graves were an asshole heel. And then on SmackDown, I want to see Michael Cole and Samoa Joe.
0: Yeah, I, I think Joe has kind of settled in so much. Uh, the
1: best commentator you know. they've got right now. Yeah. Besides, obviously, you know, Yamaha Ranallo and... You know,
0: Nigel McGuinness and stuff. Nigel McGuinness is is one of these guys. I mean, we did a special about Nigel McGuinness early on in the year about his wrestling career, but look, he's a guy that I would have either on Raw or SmackDown because he's just so knowledgeable, but doesn't uh, you're with him with it. And I think that's what a great commentator is is when you're along for the ride, and he's it's like you know Jr. back in the day with a kind of emotion, but when he was emotional, you bought into it because it showed that he cared.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I, I've actually met Nigel McGuinness. Is he a nice guy? Uh,
0: I didn't really get enough.
1: Um, get enough from him. Um, it, so William Regal had um, a show in in Blackpool that was like a meet and greet, and he'd sit there and he'd tell you a story. It Actually, got recorded for the network. Um, and they had like a first half of the show where you know you'd sit there and you'd listen to his story, and then the second half of the show were a Q and A. And like I said, you know it's going to be on the network. The Q and A. Um, it was a maybe a one-hour special and a mm. one question throughout the entire thing and um, do you know the the British re- the British wrestling legend Marty Jones yes well a member of Graps of Russ actually got trained by him a few years ago and he was at this event so obviously everybody went over there were me him and his brother and we'd gone over and we were speaking to him Marty Jones and you know he was sat there saying oh you know how you doing and he got his front row seat so he sat down in the front row and um, Cammy's brother um, who was sat with us uh, had that one question and the entire hour of that Q&A was based on the three of us so the camera was constantly on us exactly, yeah. uh, it'll be on the network soon they were saying so uh, that would be interesting so you know a <laughs> nice little plug there but like they had that, a, yeah they had like a half time in the middle of it and uh we met like we met a bunch of guys so we met um jeremy borash um chris Eero or cassie Thornor, yep
0: um
1: V brian kendrick um, who were they? Um, we saw Zach, uh, Zach Gibson and James Drake at the start of the show. We saw Viper, and we saw Na- uh, we saw Nigel McGuinness, and he was, you know, doing some, you know, like magic card tricks. And he thought he was going to be at the end of the show, take a photo, say a word, sit down, and chill out. And yeah, he never showed up.
0: No, so
1: I hold a grudge against Nigel McGuinness.
0: No, that's that's, that's I mean, <laughs> nah, that's what...
1: he, he seemed like a nice guy.
0: There, but there's some people. I mean, this is another thing: is talking about wrestling and going out and interacting with with different wrestlers and stuff like that. I had a, a, a to start the podcast off. I used to listen to the art of wrestling with Colt Cabana. Yeah. And um, I was I was desperate, and it, he was doing a show locally, and I went there, and I was starstruck. You know, this is this is about eight years ago now. <laughs> And I didn't want to speak to him. my friend. Was there? And he put his hand on his shoulder, and I was just like, "Oh my God, what are you doing? That is Colt Cabana, you know." And I went over and spoke to him, and it was just—I'm not, you know—it was just disappointing to to be. Oh. Yeah, it's just there's there's like some. I so say McIntyre was one of the nicest guys ever. Uh, we, met, we met Ricochet at that same event that Colt Cabana was at, and it was night and day, you know, like ricochet was just one of the coolest guys and we actually chatted to him um you know we were at the bar i um, you know after his match he was just there mingling and just such a down-to-earth guy and i think when you go out and you meet these guys you know like i said it's, it's great to go see an event but it's even better to like either a local wrestling event before they've made it big or like one of these q a's where you get a chance it's just yeah, great to actually meet people and you know to be a part of it. you feel more of a part of it as well don't you
1: yeah, of course. Well, um, I also met Edge and Edge is probably my favourite person I've ever met. Yeah, he was a really nice guy and uh, uh, Regal were fantastic. When we went to go and talk to Regal, uh, it was completely different to the Edge um, experience. When we met Edge, you know, he t- only talked to us for a few minutes and you know, we, he'd ask us how we were, uh, what we were up to after the show. He'd um, take a photo sign out. So for Regal, however, he must have sat there and talked to me for about 15 minutes. This massive one queue. This massive one queue of people waiting. I, I think I was the third person um, in the queue ready to go and see him and he must have spent about 15 minutes of talking to me about um, I have an injury on my shoulder and he sat there talking to me about my shoulder he was talking about um, you know his experience when he dislocated his shoulder and surgeries that he had and you know the rehab he went through and he's a really nice guy he just sat there and uh, he, he just spoke for ages um, and Brian Kendrick for another guy and um, Kendrick and um, Chris all sat right together and we spoke to them separately, and Chris Hero just sat there, and he had a lot of, a lot of jokes. Um, he was sat there talking about matches that he'd had with Marty Scurll. um, you know, hero versus villain. Yeah, uh, he was talking to us about that quite a lot.
0: Well, I'll tell you that at Marty Skrull, uh, we we managed because like I said it was Rev Pro before they actually became big, so, uh, yeah. you know, in that way. So you had people like because I didn't know who they were. So you had Marty Skrull with us, fraying people like this. So, you know, I met Marty Skrull, and I'm thinking oh, he's, he's quite a nice guy, but I'm not really sure. And I think that's why I keep telling people, go to your independent shows because you don't know what stars of the future are going to be. It could be anybody you could meet. And But it's lovely to hear about an experience from someone like William Regal. And uh, what we tried to do on the podcast is we were focusing on British wrestling this year. So we had a Nigel McGuinness special. We had the William Regal special. And next year, we're going to kind of look at the guys who are behind, you not know, even behind the scenes that maybe people don't know, you know, people like Robbie Brookside and, and people like that who have had such a huge impact on British wrestling, um, but probably don't really get the credit. Anyway, let's bring it back to SmackDown, and let's talk about the, well, we'll talk about the women's division on SmackDown in WWE as a whole. What are your thoughts on it?
1: Um, My thoughts on the women's division is that the women have more character development than any of the guys. I think it's a very strong division and the best I've ever had. I really like the women's division
0: um i couldn't agree more i think prom,
1: yeah your top women's cars all the way to the bottom from you, the top yeah. women's stars all the way to the bottom they're fantastic
0: you look at them yeah even people who are not been through like ember moon who have got so much character and drive about them you know like i said every single character from either like mandy rose sonia deville we've been hitting out of the park recently <laughs> you know you've got um characters that are not in use that have got still, like someone like Carmella or Naomi, who know exactly what they're about, but just haven't got the time to be kind of used at this moment. And then, of course, heading the division, because after he calls Lynch and Charlotte, people are going, oh, what's going to happen? And then Banks and Bailey are going, you know what? Let's step up. And it's it's just been phenomenal for them this year, you know? It's
1: been brilliant. I actually think, um, is it payback? It, it is up there for you, is it? I always forget the name of it. The one after SummerSlam, the week after SummerSlam.
0: It's going to be payback, yeah.
1: Payback, yeah, definitely payback. Um, I think that would just be a full women's, a full women's pay per view, just like Evolution.
0: Well, I, I think it needs to be because uh, Evolution was on my birthday a couple of years ago, and it's it's one of the greatest pay per views that there has been in years, just because of how great the women's division is. It is, a, it, it's the strongest thing, even in NXT. It's the strongest thing in WWE nowadays. I really do believe that, you know?
1: It really is. It, it, it's definitely up there. Um, I feel like they can main event shows when they haven't. I feel like, uh, I feel like there is an equality you know, Um Obviously, you know, there's not as many women's feuds, but that's because it's a division. And in my opinion, the only way that they're going to get more feuds is to have a, an all women's show weekly, but I'm kind of against that idea anyway.
0: Well, we see it with um, 205 Live with the, the kind of cruiserweight vote show. It never really worked. And I, I, my problem with that is the women's show would be, a, you know, an hour after Raw, wherever it's tucked away and no one would really know about it. And I feel like we talked about earlier, I feel with like an hour of Raw, if you've got three hours, we'll have the first hour dedicated to just, you know, women or, but you don't even need that now because they can be in the main events. They can carry segments through the whole show. And I think that's with, Especially with Bailey and Banks, it's what they know about their own characters, that's why it's working so well at this moment in time.
1: I suppose one way of uh,
0: looking at things could be maybe having all
1: the women on Raw, all the Cruiserweights on SmackDown to make it yeah. a little bit different, you not know, on the Raw. On Raw, then you know you're going to see more women. On weights you know you're going to see more flippy shit. But on Raw, when you've got the women, you can have more women's tag teams rather than just everyone's a single star. Like at the minute, we're like, what, three women's tag teams? Yeah. Where you can start putting people together, you can start partnering people together and uh, it creates more cla- uh, character development anyway than I feel like it would. work. I know there's a lot of women, but there's not many tag teams right now, so especially on the main roster, so you can start putting people together. And um, I, don't know, I feel like it could work. I'd have to yeah. look into it a little bit more, but off the top of my head, uh, that sounds like it could work.
0: But the thing is, though, it's like the Iconics and even now there's rumours about them splitting them up. And I just think they're such a great tag team. And like I said, you can build the women's tag team division around them and start from a core. Because we know, you know, like I said, three or four great tag teams can build a division. We've seen it in the past, you know, with with other, and then other tag teams get added to that and it builds more. You know, you look at um, Even Edge and Christian, Harleys and the Dudleys, you know, when it was the outlaw, you know, they were kind of dominant. And then these three teams came along and then they added stuff to that. And I think that's... I think the women's division is a shining light at the moment in WWE, you know?
1: Of course. Of course. It's um, it's special. It's something that makes them stand out over everything else, in my opinion. That's something that they should be really proud of.
0: All right. So, uh, that is definitely hip. So, next question. Does WWE hate tag teams?
1: No. <laughs> no, I don't think they do. Um, I understand why people say that. Of course I do. Um, tag team wrestling is my favourite type of wrestling. It has been now for probably about four years. Um, It's fantastic. Um, People say that because it's not where it should be. But at the same time, you look at, um, for example, the few that they had with the Nudie and the Usals. In my opinion, fantastic. Mm -hmm. The Lou Charles party uh, have been absolutely brilliant, even though they're not high up on the card. And, you know, not even many people enjoy watching them at the minute but they've really started coming out the chair um, I feel like when it comes to tag team wrestling we're in a transitional stage where we've not got any great tag teams besides the new day um, it just takes a while for them to build and I feel like uh, the street profits will be hitting that eventually uh, heavy machinery are always going to be middle, uh, in the middle of the division
0: um, well, I think the, the, the tag teams I feel like sometimes we'll try and build a tag team division and then we'll just put two single guys with each other and hold the tag belts for a while. And I think we've, we've seen that past few years with WWE where, and I've always argued this because I love tag team wrestling as well. I feel a great tag team beats two great singles wrestlers. Simple. Yeah. To
1: some extent. Yeah. Uh, I feel yeah. like it's a division for a reason. If uh, a tag team should come in as a specialist, like they should be tag team specialists. Um, rather than just a five team. You know, I want them to be I want, I want them to be called specialists. I want that division to be called special. I want it to be pushed as a specialist division. It's like a ma- match matching outfit, outfits. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean, like um what's it called? Um the cruiserweights can not- to be a cruiserweight that height and stuff that they do in the ring you know they're specialists to that division Um, a super heavyweight division or a power division you know that's a their specialists because of their size uh, because of their strength when it comes to tag teams i want to see them say like you know they've been training to be a tag team their entire life they've been training to be a tag team through their entire wwe run I want them to be called specialists. They've been working on tag team wrestling. They haven't been working on solo wrestling. Um, there's a different vibe to tag team wrestling than there is to singles. And I feel like that's important. To, like, it should be stated more. And um, when it does, I feel like people look at it a bit more specially. like you know, oh, you know what? Fair play. Not many people can do that. And, uh, yeah, I think that's what makes the likes of the Uso stand out more.
0: What are your thoughts on like, Cesaro and Nakamura teaming like, up? Is that again a case of two individuals or because they've been under the kind of Sami Zayn bar- uh, you know, barrier? Is that acceptable in that in, way? You know,
1: In my opinion, you can look at it two ways. Um, I think they've both been put together just for the sake of it because they're internationals and Sami Zayn's a bit political. That's just my opinion. Um, but Cesaro's one of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time and Nakamura's Japanese The Japan culture Is to have a lot of Tag team matches Running the start of the show Anyway Because it's to look After stars So I feel like Nakamura Is fine in a tag team role Either way Um, I'd prefer to see him As a solo guy Because I think he Would do well But at the same time I don't think he really Fits a weekly schedule
0: But this is the thing And I think that's With Nakamura And we don't have it A lot It's how are you going to Miss me if I'm never gone You know I think Connett said that It's a case of With some stars, the reason why Lesnar works so well, or doesn't in other persons' point of view, is because he's not on every week. He doesn't get rammed down your throat. And it's like Seth Rollins' title run last year. Because he was there every week, there's nothing kind of special. It's like Aleister Black. If he was showing up every couple of weeks and just someone with a black mask kick and then disappearing again, it would add a bit of mystique. It's the same with Nakamura. Of When he was in NXT, they booked him perfectly, you know?
1: There'll never be a greater Nakamura entrance than his debut entrance, and I want to see that back. I don't want to see the the weird lights when he comes. out. I want to see it proper flashing when he comes out. I want to see people, you know, have to be warned at the start of the show with the epilepsy uh, mm. stuff. So I, I, I really want to see his entrance as a this spectacular thing. You know, he gets halfway down the uh, he gets halfway down the ramp and he's doing his little hand movement, and that's when the uh, the light shines on him.
0: I'll tell you what, I'll take an I epileptic fit to get that. Back. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Honestly, it's, uh, his entrance was spectacular. I want you know, to, you know, put the one, put the start of the show and have him do this big entry He'll get over it if he does just
0: that just well, once. We've, we've seen it with, you know, Bobby Roode in the entrance of, in NXT, how he was treated <laughs> and then moved up and it was oh he's just an entrance you kind of need to build more on that and I think with Nakamura and Cesaro they're under the same thing they or... need
1: to this might just be me but I, I, obviously I don't know the guy but when I look at Nakamura I see someone who's a bit lazy and um, you know that's, it's a harsh thing to say but you know I, I really enjoy Seamus's uh, YouTube channel where uh, you know the Celtic workouts yeah. I, I love watching them because uh, you know I'm training to be a PT Um that I love sports. I love watching people train, and I'm watching uh, Seamus do all these different types of training with different types of people. And I watch Nakamura's and Nakamura were giving up halfway through off half, like half of his stuff, and you know he, he he hasn't got good form, which just kind of shows like, oh, maybe he's not quite done that as many times as other people have. And you know, obviously, I'm just
0: no, I mean, some This is this is the thing with Nakamura, and after a while you know winning the rumble and then losing at wrestlemania and then thinking to himself, well I'll probably not gonna be champion is there a little bit of not laziness that comes in but i've got my spot on the card and they're not going to use me any higher so i'll just run through the motions one wrestler always brings to mind about that is rvd because rvd when he first debuted in, in especially in wrf back in the day it, his shit was amazing like the matches with jeff hardy And I thought, this guy is incredible. And then in like 2003, he just, it's just like the same moves every match, you know? And there was nothing, he didn't do anything else. It was just, these are my moves that I'm doing. And I'll still do my, you know, the stuff you like, like the frog splash and the kind of RVD. But I'm not going to give everything because they're not going to use me. Is that, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I feel with Nakamura, maybe.
1: Possibly, but I feel like with RVD. He was just caught with the stuff that he did anyway. I feel like it was all about saving his body at that point.
0: I mean, that's a fair point to say as well. I mean, like I said, he did get his, his run, the WWE title run in the end, and of course, that ended the way it did. But I, I think with some wrestlers, maybe it's the risk of putting the title on them and seeing what happens sometimes, you know. And I think maybe WWE might be worried about that at certain points, you know, especially with Braun and McIntyre as new champions. Maybe give someone like you know Cesaro. Well, Cesaro definitely needs a chance. There's no doubt. But someone like Nakamura, or even the Kevin Owens, just run. You know, I, I would agree. Definitely, it's 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 his personality with him uh, as well. And I'm just looking at, uh, of course, the last pay per view WWE did was Extreme Rules. Uh, just looking through the card, of course, Bray White beat Braun Strowman in the main event. McIntyre defeated Ziggler. Oscar versus Sasha Banks ended. In no contest what did you think of this shenanigans as they were extreme rules with the oscar and banks uh, obviously what happened there and we've already spoken about rollins and mysterio i know you dug that but what did you think of the oscar and sasha banks thing at extreme rules
1: the oscar and banks thing i did not mind i thought it were a bit a bit weird but they explained it and they went with it um, if that makes sense it were a different type of ending and apparently things changed their uh, last minute, so it's a finish that came up on the fly. Um, I didn't mind it because they built on it, because they, they played on that and uh, it followed on. If they did that and then that were it, you know, all oh Banks is the winner. Banks has got the, uh, she, she's the new uh, champion. I'd be a bit, hey, really? That's not how it worked. But no, they followed up in it and they said, no, she isn't the champion. She's just saying she is. Um, and I like that. It, it fit their character. It fit the mold of, um, Banks and Bailey's persona right now. Um, I enjoyed it. It weren't bad. Um, it, I, I never watched it and thought this is weird. This is shit. I, I watched it and thought fair play if they actually work on it. Fair play if they follow yeah. from it and they did. Uh,
0: well, as I said, it was a bit of a surprise uh, with Banks actually winning the championship with a count out. Uh, afterwards and it looks well with Oscar winning uh, the battle royal on SmackDown. It looks like it's going to get a rematch at SummerSlam as well. Uh, but Oscar is another one of those who I, I for, for me personally, you know when you people like "Oh, who's your top five or you know on the roster, Oscar would be most people without.
1: She's not mine personally, but I very much understand why she's a lot of people's. She is fucking phenomenal. Let's put it this way. When Oscar first signed to NXT, I was not an Oscar fan whatsoever. I absolutely hated her. I never understood anything about her. And as time got on, I became a fan. And then I became more of a fan. And then I became more of a fan. And then more and then more. And now she is where she is. She can't do anything wrong, can she? She's the same.
0: She's just like... the. I always said it about Sasha Banks of like, oh, her herself she fights like a man. But with Oscar, I would back her against most guys do you know what i mean and and i think with that and it's just her style and the kind of the the character as well especially with kind of being oh she's japanese so there's so much personality she gives without speaking sometimes as well and i think that's what's brilliant and i think it's great that she's had um you know people were moaning when you know don't get me wrong i was devastated when she lost to charlotte wrestlemania but i feel Looking back, talk about building stars. With Oscar, she's up there now uh, with success alongside the four horsewomen, you know, I think without a doubt. Of
1: course. Um, I would just like to say then something that makes Oscar so great, in my opinion, is um, how she came back from the loss of, you know, this massive undefeated streak. The fact that she managed to come back from it, she's still like, you know, a lot of people's top women's wrestler at the minute. Like, that's impressive to do when, you know, you a lot of people consider her to be very don't agree with that statement whatsoever, but a lot of people look to her as buried. A lot of people look to her as you know well, I, I has been, you know, she's finally lost now so that means if she loses more and nothing's gonna change and all. Um, she's not gonna be the same but no, she she came back just like I thought she would do and she was fantastic. Um, I actually think that the match for Charlotte needs another attempt because it's one of my favourite women's matches of all time. In my opinion, it's probably the best on that entire Mania card. It was that good. It were, it were a Um, I actually think Charlotte's the best in the rest of the
0: world.
1: Oh. She's out injured, but... I, I, I would sit there and I'd fight that argument all day. I really do. Um, I can explain to you for 45 minutes why I think. Um, she doesn't get the credit she deserves. And well, I like her and yeah. things, fixing it up really, really stand, stand well together. They really have a lot of chemistry. I
0: well, when Charlotte... Sorry to, but I was about to say with the Charlotte thing. Um, like for so many years, or it seemed for so for so long, I just either thought she was overrated, or there was just something about her I didn't like. And then I look back on like the last two years, and there is not. This is to lead to your argument as well. There is not one wrestler in big match situations who's delivered more than Charlotte has. There, there is not hey. another wrestler. There's not one.
1: People hate on Charlotte because she's all the books, but yeah. all the books
0: being underrated, no one doesn't. No. A big difference. Like I said, you look at a match at WrestleMania, Rare Ripley. It was it was a fantastic match. Every match she's put in, where it would be well, even going back to Ronda Rousey at Survivor Series, you know, every match she's in, she delivers, and that's why she's put in a position on the card because she does deliver every time. And people get annoyed, but you can't argue.
1: Of course. Of course. She delivers every time. She's a fantastic wrestler, in my opinion. Like I said before, greatest on the planet. I feel like she'll reach the, the heights of Flair, you know, uh, of Ric Flair. Um, she'll pass the, like, to, to Stratus and Leiter. I feel like she's already quite past Leiter. I don't think she's quite past Trish yet as an all-time great. But mm. that's just because that Trish will look, uh, A lot of people look at Trish and like, this is nostalgia. Right? This is nostalgia.
0: I, I think... I think with Trish, it was a case of she came in as a model and decided to take it seriously. And I think she earned not only respect of all the fans and all the people backstage, but all the wrestlers, and she proved everybody wrong. And I think with Trish, we didn't have anything like that. You know, like I said, in, in my time watching the actual era when I was a kid, Brian panties matches and, and chocolate pudding bowls and this stuff. And then we saw it a little bit with Trish. And in Victoria, to her credit as well, during that time, Molly Holly. And then, like you said, the revolution since then has been, like I say, when we first started watching, a, started doing the podcast to where we are like now with Women's Division, it's just, it's, it's been the most enjoyable thing to see, you know?
1: Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, I feel like women's wrestling now can only get better. Um, will the main event mania again? Probably, yeah, at some point. Do I want it? And do I want to see it next year? No, but uh, that's nothing against you know the women's revolution right now. I kind of want to see Evolution be um, the women's WrestleMania. Obviously, they still have matches on the Mania card, but I want to see them have Evolution specifically as a um, as a, a Mania styled pay per view for the women only. Um, I feel like they've really earned that now.
0: Yeah, I, I think without doubt, and I, I do believe that if Lynch and Rousey one on one, that could main event WrestleMania again. I think that's that's of you know.
1: Definitely, I feel like um maybe even Becky and Charlotte again. I even think in fact i I I could see Erin actually what uh admit that I'd love to see Charlotte Main event the next ten evolution I, I honestly <laughs> think she's that good. That's just me being like tight and, you know, maybe a bit of a bit of a troll, but um I think she's that good.
0: No, I, I mean that's brilliant, you know, like I said it's it's it, when it comes to it because for so long women weren't the wrestling as well wasn't taken seriously and to now to actually have a serious debate about it is just like I said just shows how much has really changed you know definitely um, definitely you know so anyway Raw and Smackdown we spoke up both uh, that was the state of the WWE of course obviously uh, in a couple of weeks time we will do part two where we look at AEW NXT and a few other wrestling promotions but uh, just gots. what so, I mean, like I said, it's been brilliant to have you uh, on board. Smackdown, for you, is it a hit or miss?
1: Again, um, it's a hit, but only just a hit. I feel like um, it had a bit of a dip, like maybe the last three or four weeks. Um, not Sorry, not the last three or four weeks. It's been interesting the last three or four weeks. But um, at the start of the pandemic and maybe halfway through the pandemic, I feel like it did take a bit of a dip. It's been up and down, but uh, it's back up to the best it can be. Um, for me, it's a hit, especially after last night. Sure, last night, all sure, good.
0: Do you think SummerSlam, though, is a moment in time? If things go wrong at SummerSlam with maybe some decisions that WWE are going to struggle up until the new year, or do you feel with SummerSlam, irrespective of what happens there, they're going to carry on this kind of runner form?
1: I think it's going to carry on with the way it is, I feel like, especially with some of that Retribution around and Raw Underground kicking up. I know that's a lot of Raw-based stuff when we talk about SmackDown, but with that kind of stuff around at the minute, it's kind of pushing a new direction for the company. Um, It's kind of pushing a new direction for the talent on both rosters on NXT as well. Uh, It's different, it's fresh, and I feel like the only way that they can go with it is, is forward.
0: I think, without a doubt, and I think that's brilliant. So that is hit or miss for Raw and SmackDown, like we we'll be doing in a couple of weeks' time. I just want to take a moment and look at a wrestler who tragically passed away this week, uh, Kamala. Now, my first wrestling memory of Untaker building a coffin for Kamala leading to their eventual match at Survivor Series 1992. Yes. I always remember Untaker going, Kamala. <laughs> and it's me it's <laughs> now for as long as it has been. Um, The Ugandan Giant was born James Harris on May 28, 1950 in Mississippi. He debuted in 1978 under the ring name Sugar Bear Harris. He spent most of his early career in the southern United States, also using the ring names Ugly Bear Harris and Big Jim Harris. His first manager was Percy Pringle, a.k.a. Paul Bearer. He uh, got his start in USWA where Jerry King Lawyer uh, wanted a new character and adjusted it basically looked like a Ugandan headhunter with face and body paint. Of course, he's more famous for his uh, time in WWF as well, early on with Angela Giant, and like we said, later on uh, against the kind of Undertaker and people like this. And people might forget as well, he was also in WCW in his later days, uh, thanks to Hulk Hogan, and he joined the Dungeon of Doom. Now, no one's ever seen the Dungeon of Doom. They are the greatest wrestling group that ever existed. I personally love WCW in 1995 because it is just hilarious. Not intentional, but it is just brilliant, you know. Um, and obviously, later on in crew as well, he had his leg, left leg amputated in 2011. And on 2020, he tested positive for COVID and was hospitalized. And unfortunately, due to complications from diabetes, he passed away at the age of 70. Um RIP Kamala, you will be missed 1950 to 2020. Uh, very sad news about Kamala this week, obviously.
1: He's a legend of the business. I mean, I was too young to ever really understand who he was as a character, but like, when I've grown up, I've, uh, I've been able to see different clips of mine. I've been able to see like, the character work of him and you know, his, his input on today's business, and I feel like he's a revolutionary, and it's a shame. It's a
0: real shame. Yeah, he he will definitely be missed. And even the moment when Regal's saying to him, no, I will not rub the moon on your belly, uh, still has me laughing now. Like I said, Kamala, you will be missed. So that is it. That's been a brilliant show. Like I say, the first ever co-host, uh, first special guest co-host on the podcast. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I've really enjoyed it. I'll tell you what, two hours have flown by today. They really have. They really have. Yeah, I mean, I've it's... had my
1: girlfriend messaging me halfway through saying how oh, long you gonna be I wanna go out
0: <laughs> Well I, I will let you go out now but I will ask if I can see you again in two weeks. <laughs> of
1: course, of course. <laughs> Brilliant,
0: that is it. Don't forget we're across all social media, Twitter at the WNR podcast, I'm at the WNRJR. And where are you?
1: I am at Raps of Grass
0: yeah so make sure you follow him on there all right it's a really good twitter account like we said we're going to build it up as well and uh try and get a lot of support over there our WNR follower of the week is gustavo tivo at gustavo tivo 1002 he'll be able to pick sync on the podcast we're also on facebook the our podcast and also instagram across all the google platforms send us an email to WR podcast at gmail.com youtube and we have all the latest clips and podcasts at the same time YouTube as do soundcloud on your phone also, Stitcher and iTunes speaker you can download, subscribe, rate and review there. So that is it. I have been James Ronans and I was joined by
1: the Raps of Grass.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. And bye.